The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever, in 2022. Led by supercar star Bryce Forward as the driver mentor, the Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Well, good day to you all, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 15th episode of the Napa Grassroots Racing Podcast. What a great time of year it is too. You can hear the sleigh bells ringing. Everybody's happy. Maybe just a little bit tired coming towards the end of a season, the end of a busy year. And we're all looking forward to having a massive Christmas break. The Napa Grassroots Podcast will continue on. We'll take a short break over Christmas, but we will be right back into it. Of course, everything to do with the Napa Motorsport Academy. You can check that all out at www.napaautoparts.com.au and if you're an nz.nz at the at the end and big day to all of our listeners that have been with us particularly over the ditch over there in New Zealand for joining us and everyone who's joined us for episode 15 and all the way along the journey we wish you all a uh, fantastic christmas because we'll get into this one we've got here and of course my uh, co-star tonight not not co not co-driver not co-host co-star <laughs> he's been promoted because he's got the full santa suit on big fat belly which is not padded that's just a normal thing that he's got there nice big gray beard tucked in behind the goggles there and of course a big welcome to gary o'brien welcome gaz yeah thanks Daz. what an introduction that one is and um talking about uh rotunda in the stomach department i think you leave me behind mate yeah, just a little bit. Those two lunches are going to have to come to an end at some point. <laughs> and not my lifetime, I don't think, from what I've seen. Well, you don't think you're going to live a long and prosperous life then, Gaz? Is that it? You're going to check out fairly soon. <laughs> no, I'm saying that you will never stop eating. Ah, uh, well, that <laughs> keeps us going, isn't it, really? Fuel for the fire, a big g'day to those uh, race fuels that have been supporting us right throughout the second half of this year as well. They've uh, done a tremendous job uh, looking after us here at the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots racing podcast a little bit of uh, motorsport going on gaz at this time of year of course speedway kicks off and napa is massively involved and we'll, we'll touch on a bit of that at the end of the show and a little bit uh, more in news to come up but uh, james mcfadden has, has uh, done more than just sign up for the uh, annual classic he's going to do a couple of events in the in the prelude as well but we'll touch on that more later on um, here in Victoria, really, all we've had is presentation dinner after presentation dinner after presentation dinner, which doesn't so you've help been well the waistline. Fed. Yeah, it doesn't help the waistline. But um, look, I guess, um, Gaz, particularly personally for me, is uh, a massive, um, I'm going to say, watershed moment that uh, the great people, Cam McKinnon and his crew at Triple Eight Home Loans, have announced that they're going to be the naming rights sponsor for the entire Victorian state circuit racing series for three years, a three-year deal. And uh, that was announced at the Manningham uh, uh, function held on Friday night for the Victorian championship. And I was lucky enough to be the one to make that announcement. So I would go so far as to say 
an organised state series that uh, has a full naming rights sponsor across the event, I would say that'd be a first, wouldn't you? I'd say so, and that's huge in terms of just how big the Victorian state racing series is, and this just makes it bigger, and I think you're just going to get more people wanting to be involved in it. Yeah, and look, it's um, there's a there was a fair bit of focus by the the guys at Triple Eight Home Loans, Cam McKinnon, the, uh, the proprietor down there. He really enjoyed. It. He's a competitor. He's raced in uh, XLs initially. He's raced a Falcon in improved production. He's supported the uh, Porsche nine four fours and improved production and XLs. And now he's got the the whole uh, the whole shebang. And uh, he really should be congratulated. So if you're in motorsport and you're looking for a home loan, give Triple Eight Home Loans a, a go. That's a, a massive moment for the, the Victorian series. And uh, um, he's absolutely sold on the whole live streaming thing, Gaz, as most sponsors do, if they can get their message out further and wider via, uh, via the internet television sphere, then it's a good idea. Yeah, unfortunately, there's still a few that are uh, stumbling a bit towards uh, not having live streaming, and which is a shame because um, it's only benefits everyone involved, from the racer to the to the sponsors, uh, not only of the whole series but of also the individual categories and the individual cars. One of the biggest things that that promoters get their don't get their head around is that they think, oh, if we live stream it, the fans aren't going to come to the track. And we know we've lived with numerous different series that have that have had promoters that were quite skeptical about that. And you get two or three rounds in, and all of a sudden there's a you know there's a couple of hundred, then then five hundred, then a thousand more people coming to the event because they didn't know it was on. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden they've caught it on the net and they've gone, well, let's go to the actual races this weekend. Well, this is a big thing. You touched on that when you said they don't know it's on why don't they know it's on that should be fairly well in anyone that's involved in motorsport or wants to be passionate about it knows when every event's on surely well there is those other people and they're mostly at the event because they're mostly officials and they're waving flags and you know driving medical vehicles and setting up the pit lane and all that sort of thing but it, i guess it is those the casual viewer that uh, you know might have liked motorsport ten years ago before they had a family and got caught up in in everything that goes in that uh, area of your life, but certainly live streaming, you know, with uh, the first live stream motorsport was uh, was done via the Shannon's Nationals all those years ago, and uh, we know what that's gone to now. That's gone to two series, the Speed Series and now the Trophy Series, and just continues and uh, continues to grow. So well done to. Triple Eight Home Loans and their involvement in uh, the next three years of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships. Really looking forward to seeing how uh, that area grows. Yeah, well, tip, tip my hat to that, that's for sure. What's been happening in your world, Gaz? Well, there's been a little bit happening. Uh, we've had the uh, Formula SAE. I think you've been in, have you been involved in this before? No, I did have an interest in it many, many years ago, yeah. but it's, it's changed vastly uh, over the last decade or so compared to then. I guess if you're not aware of what it's about, it's about uh, university students building cars to go through a series of disciplines. It happened all at uh, Winton Raceway from December 8 to 12, and it was live streamed as well. But acceleration, skid pan, autocross and endurance. And what it covers is um, very small engines, whether they be petrol or um, electric. And lots of aero teaches them a lot about aerodynamics and how they work and even though they're not big powered cars the amount of aero can make a difference in the performance certainly and and different um construction materials from from alloys aluminiums steels and carbon carbon fiber fiberglass and all the different 
versions of composites are also explored. And one of the other things that, that Formula SAE have done very, very well is made many, many, many spaces on those bits of bodywork to put stickers of sp supporters. <laughs> they managed to get every every milk bar, every uh, every bearing company, every air compressor company, all of that to get their stickers on the side of these well, things, and they well, do how a many tremendous would, job. How many would be parent companies that would just throw a sticker on? <laughs> like you imagine if your your offsprings were out there doing it, the the companies you work for over the years would uh, have stickers on the car. It would, absolutely, and uh, they do it. It, it. It's in these universities, there's private uh, groups that, that get involved, and certainly, as uh, as you said, was live streamed, Blendline TV, again, at the grassroots. Um, they they are giving them a good plug. Yeah, they've done, well, they're doing a pretty good job, aren't they? They're doing, <laughs> yeah. doing all right at it. Yeah. Um, in other news, I guess, State Off-Road Series uh, finished up at Simmons Plains, of all places, for Tasmania. Uh, small field were lined up for four by 12 lap heats. But unfortunately, after a full heat one and three laps of heat two, they uh, called the event off because the amount of dust, wind direction, and the close proximity to, of the track to the highway. As you well know, you've been there, Daz, that the highway is not far from the track and they go around all the outskirts of the, of the facility. So there'd be a fair bit of dust kicking up. Uh, so it was Paul Colgan was the winner from Clint Bromhill and Andrew Gifford was in third spot. Uh, not far away, <laughs> across the ditch, across the water, you might say, Bass Strait, the um, Pyre Arc Christmas Sprint and Races were on, and two categories were involved, the BMW E30 Series and the Mazda RX-8 Cup. Um, it was not a round, it was a round of the, the final round of the series for uh, for the BMWs, and Jeremy Payne won all three, four races that were held. Uh, Alex Jury was second in the first. Royce Lynn followed up with three seconds in the following races. Meanwhile, in... interesting actually, there Royce Lynn has only just progressed out of XL as a young bloke. I think he's only about fifteen or sixteen years of age. Had done some karting and then XLs, and now into the E thirties. But uh, Alex Jury, you just mentioned, who got second, he was uh, awarded uh, on Friday night took the the, uh, the title for well, the the state series. Well, it was a good comeback from Jeremy Payne. He won the first race of the previous round, but was ill after it, so he couldn't complete the weekend. So, um, and that's where Alex Jury got enough points up because he won the following races uh, to take title. So good on him. And in the RX-8 Cup, um, we had three different winners, Brad Harris, his twin brother, Will Harris, and Tom Shaw. And Tom Shaw ended up with the most points for the Australian Championship as opposed to the New South Wales Championship, which he won at the last meeting. So he won it from Justin Barnes and Jack Panaccia was in third spot, Victorian, uh, uh, taking it up to the uh, New South Welshman that finished yeah, first and second. Tony Panaccia's son used to race an RX3 yeah, in club exactly. car. RX2, sorry, in club car, yeah. actually. It was very good. And was a, yeah, there was a uh, Queensland Raceway Drivers' Championship meeting at QR on December 10 and 11. Um, basically, it was just XLs. Uh, there was a, supposed to be... That's what you need. They don't yeah, get the fans ten, in. Well, they had 40 of them, so they yeah. did all right. And they had a, a series of sprint races followed up by a 30-lap endurance race. Connor Roberts um, did well. He won every race he was in and he took the round ahead of Brett, Brett Parrish and Tyler Collins was in third spot. Uh, Jared Hughes, who'd won in XLs at Morgan Park more re in more recent times, uh, unfortunately finished 19th. He had a, 
break issue in the Enduro and didn't finish. And another interesting name in the series or in this round was Aaron Cameron, who um, unfortunately finished 29th because he didn't uh, finish the Enduro either. Interesting, Gaz. At Isle of Magic, they had a 20-lap person, so a mini Enduro for the XLs. And I've got to say, the racing was a lot, lot better than some of the eight, you know, eight and six lap sprint meetings that they have during the year. And I think it might be that they've sort of put their head down and go, oh, we've got to work together and get to the end of this rather than uh, have each other off in turn one, two, three or four and then see who gets to the end of the race. But which was certainly... a lot to, which uh, was to your disgust in certain circumstances. Wasn't yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, the, the end of the race, you've got no one left on the track to call the finish, haven't you? But the, I think I think that might be a, something that the, the XL races can get in their mindset that, you know, they've got to 20 laps of the island or 30 laps of QR that you've know, you got to make the little jigger underneath you'll get through to the end. So, right. so Gaz, it's been a pretty busy lead into Christmas. I'm really looking forward to our uh, guest tonight from, from back to front of a racetrack. He's done just about every job in the place. I guess the only seat he hasn't filled is Tim Schenken's, but Hey, there could be something in the future <laughs> there as well. Yeah. There's three generations of his family involved in motorsport from his early days in formula Fords where many of our great steers have come from to production cars and supercars with several Bathurst 1000 appearances. After more time in production cars, which included many endurance events, both domestically and internationally, he then started to build his own cars, which brought about several new chapters. When you are the son of a well-known racer, have established your own career, it is seemingly destined that you would foster the next generation. It appears that a family dynasty is building, so let's have Ryan McLeod explain how it has developed. G'day, how, how are you guys? Great to be on the show. Fantastic to have you, Ryan. It really is uh, a great honour to have someone, as I just said, then uh, with with experience from each end of pit lane and and racing and seats and, and all different sorts of things. It really is a, a pleasure to have someone of your caliber uh, join us on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. I think, think potentially oversold it a bit there, but uh, it's fantastic to be here and, and happy to share um, uh, where, where we've arrived at with you guys for sure. And uh, it, hopefully it's good for everyone to listen to. Well, it, it's probably fair to say that um it was probably instilled in you we're talking motorsport here but was it something you always wanted to do well i actually thought about it not too long ago and i thought well uh you know now with my with my sons i mean they haven't known uh their their dad ever not being around racing whereas i suppose with uh where i started out i mean dad never really went racing until he was 32 so um, my my junior years, whilst they were all brought up around cars, and the and you know we always had plenty of cars because uh, Dad had numerous um, dealerships and and things like that. The racing thing was something that happened a bit later. I think the first time really that he went racing was nineteen eighty. So I was sort of seven or eight. So from that point, I'd say yes. You know, then from from about nineteen eighty on, I was certainly. You know, a shed went up in our backyard in Dapto and um, you know, a Mazda RX-7 was in there and people were down there working on it. And, and uh, yeah, it started up at all hours of the night. And so I think from then, I've, I've always been encapsulated by motorsport and by racing cars. Yeah. Do you specifically remember the first time you went to the track and went, gee, this is a bit of a ride. I, I think I might spend some time here. 
I do. And I think, I think for a run there, I went to every Bathurst from about 1981. I didn't go in 1980, but I mean, dad only started racing in 1980 and, and, and he ended up doing Bathurst that year in an RX-7. And, you know, Mazda aficionados will know that that was really the very, very start of the RX-7s. I think they only came out in 1979 and they only got accepted into the touring cars because uh, they're technically not a Group 3 touring car. Um, well, they'd managed to prove that they were somehow. And, uh, yeah, in, in 1980. So... Um, he's going to make an argument between us here, isn't he, Gaz? This is going to get, this is going to get <laughs> loose and a guess is going to get yeah. left behind here. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, I'm having the same arguments with Mustangs in improved production <laughs> now. But anyway, um, yeah, the, um, the, the, yeah, it was 1981 when I first went there and dad left, you know, mum um, at home, you know, for the race week. Obviously, he was up there uh, with, you know, these various people from, from Wollongong, mechanics and whatnot. And, um, and my job was to, well, my job, I went in the car with mum from Wollongong. So now that's only, I don't know, is it four hours, three and a half, four hours? But back then it was like six or seven hours to drive there. And, uh, and, and uh, dad left whatever was on the front line, the best thing he had for mum to drive up to Bathurst. So we would get up at two o'clock in the morning on, on the Sunday morning or even earlier, I can't remember, and drive to Bathurst. And the goal was to get there before they closed the track, which was at about 7.30. And, um, and it was pressure stakes all the way. I remember mum and me driving up there to get there. And um, you sort of drive into that place. And it was like, yeah, I'd never seen dad in that sort of environment and with the cars and, and the big race and took it all a bit for granted, really. It was just, this is what dad was doing for the weekend. There we were. <laughs> Gee, 1980, it really was the great race back then, wasn't there? There was cars back around the corner that started the race back in those days. Yeah, well, yeah, 81, 82, 80, like well, all of those years were classic years. And, you know, obviously now, you know, you go to Bathurst five times a year and it's it's a bit normal, you know, for people to go there. It's one of the most used tracks in the country, or in New South Wales at least now. So it's... um. We were a little bit spoiled by it, but back then it was a one-shot deal. The bikes were on at Easter, I think, until they shut that down, and um, and then yeah, we were um, we were there in in October. It was certainly, the first weekend in October was um, a pretty special weekend for a long time for me. So, when was your first uh, venture behind the wheel? That would have came much later than that, I guess. Oh yeah, well yeah, I I reckon in terms of driving. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't until uh, no, um, nine, when Dad started with the Citroens and um, and in the production cars. So uh, yeah, Dad was a member of the Wollongong Sporting Car Club, and um, you know, having won Bathurst, he was he was uh, he had had the various cars he'd had up the Huntley Hill over the years, and they had various rounds of the National Hill Climb Championship out at Huntley Hill Climb. And uh, Dad took the new Citroen out there and, uh, yeah, handed me the helmet and said, here, I'll go for a run up the hill. <laughs> Which I seem didn't... to remember I was quicker than him, but perhaps <laughs> I wasn't. Maybe that's just what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember that was my first drive. And I think it was because we could get some sort of club license off the club yeah. to go up the hill. And I only needed a helmet. And someone said to him, oh, I'll give you a young bloke a run. And I suppose 1991, so I was born in 1973. So, uh, you know, the maths on that mean that I wasn't that young 
um, starting, but that was my first. My first. So you would have had a road license almost by that stage. Oh, I would have been close, but I don't think so. I think I was. It was. It was around that time. But I do remember going up the hill, and I thought, "Well, this is pretty good." And with all, you know, one hundred and five kilowatts of that one point nine liter (laughs) different engine (laughs) breathing in front of me, so it wasn't at any great lick of pace, but. Um, you know, it was on a track with the helmet on and, um, and uh, yeah. And the out. hydroelastic suspension fighting every yeah. one of your inputs. Yeah, yeah, all of that, all of that. So, you know, they were fantastic cars and that was, that was, that was where that started. And I think from there, I did a few laps at Oran Park one day. I remember um, Peter Dane. I actually remember Peter Dane and uh, my dad standing out on the track uh, much like we do now at the go-kart track and we actually get in trouble for doing it at the go-kart track with the kids and you go and stand on the apex and whatever. Yeah, well, they were standing like, you know, on the crest of the dog leg and down in the final <laughs> corner and then on the apex of the corners and I was driving the the, the BX Citroen around. There. So, <laughs> I'm sure you couldn't do those sorts of things now. <laughs> Well, especially not at Oran Park. Well, I tell you what, you've, you've just you just dropped a couple of great names of uh, early coaches you've had in your, for your driving side of your career too. Wow, Peter Dane, uh, legend of uh, grassroots racing in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, Peter Dane, fantastic guy. And I mean, I mean, I think Dad went to Bathurst, you know, with Mel Brewster from Wollongong the first time, and then Peter Peter Dane, and um, and there was a brace of other people. He was got sort of he was riding with all the Rotary guys and. Um, so, you know, Barry Jones, late Barry Jones, you know, he, he was a fantastic guy as well. And, um, and yeah, that, we seemed to spend a lot of the time in those early, in those early years of me being involved with racing, um, you know, hanging out at, at the, their, their place or, or um, uh, at the track with them or going to and from the track or something along that, those lines. Was there any go-karting in the early days of your career? Did you venture onto the go-kart track yourself? Yeah, I did. I, 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 I got um, into the go-karts at Kembla Grange um, in, in Wollongong back when they had the uh, high-kart track. So it wasn't the racing track. They, it had like a few more figure eights. And uh, Wayne Gardner had um, sort of got behind the club a little bit and he bought a go-kart and was on display there. And so it got a few people going. And I think... I don't know if he funded it or somehow they managed to fund a bit of a club extension to the track to make it a racing track. And we got a, uh, I did end up racing in about 1988 or 89. Um, I did some karting and they drew quite a, quite a crowd at Wollongong at the Kembla Grange there. Um, I remember being there, you know, um, Tim Pauling and, and Dave Bernard and, and those, those sort of guys Phil Skyfleet, Justin Cotter, um, all guys that raced at Wollongong Go Kart track, and uh, and and that was that was you know Mum used to Mum had a Renault R18 wagon and she dropped me off with the go kart you know discombobulated in the back with the seats folded down and I'd I'd wheel it in and uh, and race there for the day and then wait and Dad after he locked the dealership up would come by in the, in the evening and pick me up. So wow. that, that was the, the go-karting scene, but never really ventured too far out of Wollongong doing it. It was just pretty much stuck in Wollongong. Do you think so you that then... gave you the, the feel for future driving? Was that something that you, you thought, well, I've, I've got my backside into this thing. This will be uh, lead me to the next big thing. Or was it just something that you did? Mate, I don't know. I mean, you know, I probably felt a little bit 
not not trapped in Wollongong, but you know, it's a big hill to look over. You know, up out of the steel town <laughs> down there, and um, you know, we used to have a saying that you know, if something was really nice, you'd say a man from Sydney made that. You know, and it's looking back at it now, it was a bit of a shame because you know it probably kept me a little bit grounded there in Wollongong, and uh, you know, I would have been just happy winning a couple of club races down at the Kembla Grange go kart track. Um, they had a couple of big ones there, and I went pretty well in, in them. But it, it was completely different. And, I mean, I was young then for go-kart racing because I don't even think they'd started the uh, the cadets. I mean, there was certainly – I remember seeing um, uh, Jim Courtney bring James Courtney down for the first time. And he was one of the first people who had the small go-kart, the 800-millimeter wheelbase with the little tyres. And everyone thought that was fantastic, you know, and that these kids so young could get into it. And now they're, they're starting at six and seven, you know. So then you did some quite a few races in that Citroen and which included an endurance race, the first one of the first twelve hour races at Bathurst. Yeah, yeah that was a that was a dismal failure, really. But yeah, we did go there. We went there with the my, my dad raced the Citroens in ninety one and two and you know, he had Peter Dane and Peter Jansen and uh, Barry uh, Jones was preparing some of the cars and uh, I'd actually left and joined the Air Force. And uh, I was in the Air Force 91, 92, so I really didn't go. And then um, I, I, one of the cars got damaged and, uh, and I found myself repairing it. And we got onto the grid there in, I want to I wanna say, 1994 yeah, to race that, that car. And that was at the Easter, I think it was an Easter race. It was a 12-hour, wasn't it? It was a 12-hour. Mm. Um, yeah, a couple of co-drivers, uh, Dennis Cribben, who's a great bloke. I think Jeff Fickling, who might have ended up on his roof somewhere along the way, myself in that car. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so we didn't, we didn't finish, but I got my first laps around the mountain. And for some reason, you know, when I drove out of the pits there and up around the top of the hill, that track, for some reason, I just sort of felt a bit like, I didn't even need to think about where it went, you know, like because I'd been going there for so long and watched so many videos of it and I'd probably driven around with Dad and stuff like that. Mm. But I sort of felt quite comfortable with that track. Was, was that year, was were you guys pitted up? You know how they had all the old-style pits and then you had to go up the basically what leads back up towards the tunnel and they had pit pit bays up there. Yeah, so were you up it, there? If the people that remember the old, like, like the old, old layout of the pits there, I think we, um, oh, I can't, I can't remember where the Citroen ran out of in 94, but dad was running, I think we were in some sheds, some of the sheds, maybe the Tony Longhurst ones or something down the bottom there, right. because dad was running the RX-7 and he had a little bit of help from Mazda, and then there was obviously, um, the other Mazda teams were there, which were quite sort of big deals in those days at that race. And the Citroen was sort of chucked in the back um, and we were all sort of in together. But certainly when we went back with the with the touring car later that year, yeah, um, you're in, up. in the Kevin, what used to be the, the big Rev Kev shed, the Channel 9 Kamara shed just mm -hmm. up the back. And that was that's where you yeah, depict it. There was a concrete slab there. With an old shed, and I think we had that for three or four years there. Yeah, uh, I think that's where I met you for the first time there, when you might have been ninety four. Yeah, it was ninety four. Yeah, ninety four was a it was a it was a funny year because, I mean, we 
sort of skipped over the Formula Ford and then and then and we're straight into the into the into that and we, we can up, go back to that. That's no we problem. We ended up doing that and then the and then the uh, the the V eight at, at back in October. Yeah, well, that, that's a fairly quick jump from starting out in probably ninety one, and by nineteen ninety four, you're in the twoies one thousand. Well, it was quicker than 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 that, Gary, because in ninety in ninety like 91, 92, I didn't race, 93. Yeah. Um, so I was in the Air Force in 92. And in 92, um, Dad, through the Citroen thing, was involved with Glenn Clark from New Zealand. And Glenn had been previously involved with Dad in the, in the Commodores, um, you know, 86, 88, something like that. Um, and Glenn had a 1985 Van Diemen, um, which... Uh, was in in component form, missing a few components uh, in uh, back in New Zealand, and he bought the car out because he had rented a car off someone and had smashed it here, and I need some parts or something along those lines. And um, yeah, so I got I got the opportunity to put that car back together and race it, and which I did. So I took the car to uh, I was doing uh, recruit training um, at Wagga Air Force Base, and I took the car down there. And me and a couple of the boys there, we got a spare room in the in the in the um, um, building area where we were living. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember doing standby beds inspections, and just none of us could manage to find the key for that room for the day because <laughs> yeah, the car was in there, and there was engines apart on the bench, and <laughs> chassis was stripped down, and and the airframe section was making me parts for the. The, the replacement bits for the floor and the wiring guys, the avionics guys were repairing something and someone else was doing something else and the, the panels were down at the, at the getting painted at the training place for the painting. So the car sort of came together, but I didn't quite have the wherewithal to put it all together myself. So I ended up at uh, Dave Moore's place to finish that project. And he, yeah, and, and he sort of... When you say, when you say of, Dave Moore, as in um, Bart's dad, yeah, so okay. I, ended yeah, up, right. I ended up, I, I rang Elwyn Bickley because I knew that he had made some cars and he referred me to Dave. And I rang Dave, sort of Bartles Brass, and said, oh, you know, I've got this car, can you give me a hand? And it, it ended up at his place until it was until it was finished. And in, in those days, Bruce Carey was running um, Larco out of there, pretty much, you know, and uh, mm. it was a pretty cool time to be, uh, hanging out up there but Dave you know what Dave's like like Dave showed me you couldn't put a rivet in without getting a like you know a war and peace on how a rivet was made and the right way to go <laughs> in the hole and all this sort of stuff and yeah I bet you've never and, wasted a rivet though <laughs> no and it, but it was fantastic you know because Dave really showed me how to put those cars together um, and at, at the time you know I thought that was a really old car but but you know fast forward 25 years or whatever and when my young bloke started in formula ford he, in in two, 2020 he was racing a 1991 model car van Diemen, mm. you know and they, there's me in 1993 thinking my 1985 model car was just old and ready for the rubbish tip you know yeah. what you wouldn't give to have it now oh gee not an rf not uh, 85 or 86 85 yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah love yeah. to have a steer one of those that would be great yeah. fun so that was, a great, that was a great process. Putting that so go, going back, just touch back. I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations is over now when you're in the, the Wagga Air Base. You're, you've got your, your dorm and then you've <laughs> commandeered a room next door and that's where you were restoring your race car, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it was, wow. uh, I had a go-kart trailer, so I sort of wedged it all in the back of the go-kart trailer. And funnily enough, I had a Citroen GS wagon um, that dad decided would be a great car for me to have. That is funny in itself, yeah. And yeah, that is funny <laughs> in itself. So, so the little Citroen wagon towed the trailer up and back to Wagga with the back seats folded down and all these parts of the Formula Ford in it. And Talk um, about a dishonourable discharge from the <laughs> right there. And, um, and yeah, so I had that car, um, you know, I was on that raft base for, I don't know, six or eight months. Or I think it was eight months. And, um, and yeah, I, that's where I decided that this is, I was going to have, I was going to put this car together and go and race it. And um and yeah, I did. So yeah, that's what that's that's where we ended up after. And that, how did the how did the Formula Ford um, racing go for you? Did you who, who were you racing against? Well, I went straight to um, Amaru Park. Um, well, I went straight to Oran Park, and I did my observe license test. And the instructors on the day for the OLT back then, you had to do your tests and, and actually have a race around the track. And um, there was a, a few people in the mock race, if you like. But the instructors were John Cotter and Peter Doolman, and um, and they were that was the first time I met those guys, um, and they said, "Oh, you know, look, you've done, you've done a really good job here." You know, so I got my license and pretty much took it the next weekend to Amaru, um, and uh, we entered at Amaru, and it was a round of then the Coca Cola Bottlers series, um, and I remember it being. Um, it was like having the national series and then the state series running just behind. And I raced against like Wayne Boatwright and guys like that in the state series. Um, and I think I came second in the state series, part of that race and fifth or sixth. But I remember, you know, um, Con Taparis and Gary Gazzetti and Steve Ellery and Stephen Richards. Stephen Richards actually will remember that race because he was in it, got black flagged on the last lap while he was leading. Oh. Instead of taking the checkered flag, they gave him the black flag. Wow. And I think uh, Con the Fruiter might have won that one or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, so, um, but, and I was a, a few spots back in the, in my car, but, you know, reportedly went very well. Um, and, um, and I met then um, Spencer Martin. And Spencer said to me, you know, oh, you know, do you want me to give you a hand? And, and, he gave me a bit of a hand from, from then to do the rest of the Formula Ford racing. I must look up the records. I would have covered those races for auto action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, I, I'm sure that's the first time that, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't have met you, but I certainly would have heard heard of you as the guy from auto action being, being there. And, mm. uh, you know, I was just, that was my first race. Because that was an AMSCAR meeting as well, wasn't it? Uh, oh, I, I, I seem to remember there was like a second tier touring car event going on at the same yeah, time. Yeah, Amscar it was. That, so, that would yeah. have been, um, Ryan, that would have been back when they would say, go and see young Gary from Auto Action now. They say yeah. something different now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Potentially. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm sure they do. I've heard it. Yeah. yeah. So, so some... the Formula Ford, sorry, just before we do move on. What did Formula Ford bring you? If you look back in, in what you did in racing, was it just a fun way to start or was there something that you took from that that, that put you in good in a good position? Well, I think I think what Formula Ford does, and, and look, I was very lucky to have the guidance of Dave Moore because, you know, pretty quickly you realise that you're talking about a racing car that's actually like it's a proper racing car and things work in it the way they should. And, you know, I know when, when the Larkham 
guys when they went into racing in the in the um, touring cars. They probably took it to you know a little bit too extreme, but but and I think Mark would probably admit that. But but coming through Formula Ford really shows you that you know how a car should you know when you turn a wheel, the car needs to have a response, and you press the brake, it needs to stop, and the throttle's got response, and 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 you need to be accurate with the car and keep the momentum rolling. The gearbox, how that should work. All those things, you know, you get exposed to it, and and um, when you go and race a production car, it really highlights all the deficiencies. And you know, the more deficiencies you can uh, remove from a production car or a touring car, the faster it's going to go. The more you can make it like a Formula Ford in its basic function, um, then yeah, the better it's going to go. So um, I only ever did the three or four Formula Ford races. I think I did two at Amaru and I did the Sandown 500 support race one year and maybe I did another one somewhere at uh, Eastern Creek or Oran Park. I raced at Oran Park as well. Um, so, yeah, I only did those three or four races and then I had to give the car back. Oh, so that's why you moved on from that because you had to give the car back. I gave the car back to Glenn at the end of that season. So he had rented an engine from um, Troy Dunstan, I think. And uh, yeah, and, and I gave the car back to Glenn. He sold it to a guy in Perth. Um, Did you pull it Perth. all apart like you got it and then hand it back to him in no, a trade? No, no, no. <laughs> and guy in Perth, if you're listening and you've got an 85 Van Diemen, I wrote my name underneath the uh, the um, nameplate that's riveted on the front. So yeah, if anyone wants to take the nameplate off their 85 Van Diemen or work out whether it was mine or not, <laughs> but um, but I've it went to Perth and that was the last I saw of it. So right. remind me when we get to the the Mark Car side of things, Gaz, as to where he puts his name on those chassis. <laughs> so then then you were going to uh, go the big jump um, to his one thousand nineteen ninety four. Yeah, ninety four. A couple of production car races and then off to Bathurst in Easter, and then you know you look back now and you just think. You know, I was in the Air jump. Force. I'd moved now to Richmond RAF base. Yep. And uh, they had a lot of good facilities there too for car right. racing. Yeah. Hidden rooms. I, I moved to the... <laughs> I moved Hidden there. The bedrooms. Richmond, the got a bit of touring base. car in there now. Yeah. <laughs> no, not a That's car. hard. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I was... Uh, if you'd asked me in 1994 what I couldn't do in a race car wasn't going to be worth doing. You know, like I was really enthused and, and powered up to make something out of going racing. And, uh, and you know, we had done the Formula Ford for, yeah, it was really just a few races. We'd done the production car thing. I got my first taste of laps around Bathurst. And, and I suppose having seen Dad do what he had done, I thought, well, you know, we need to go and race touring cars. Um, so um, I was looking through the back of auto action because, you know, there was no, obviously, so social media, there was no Facebook marketplace or anything like that back in those days. So I was looking through the back of auto action and um, the classifieds and there was a VL Walkinshaw for sale at Sutherland, which was the uh, Donoher car, which was an ex-GIO car. And... Um, I said to dad, um, you know, we should buy this. And he just, he actually got quite upset with me. He said, no, 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 that's just ridiculous. You can't do that. And I think it was August when the ad came out. 
and they had just decided that it was going to be beyond them to get ready and get the Bathurst, so they were just going to sell everything. And um, and anyway, I bought the paper again the next week, and it was still in the paper. And I thought, you know, I had a little bit of sponsorship off NZ, and I rang the guy at NZ, and I said, uh, we want to go back to Bathurst. And he said, oh, you know, what's it going to cost? And the car was $26,000. <laughs> I said $26,000. And, um, and he rang me back two days later and said, oh, yep, we're in. So, so for the pricely sum of $26,000, I rang, I rang dad back and I said, uh, well, dad, I'm going to go and buy this car. And he, he was not happy, but, um, and he thought it would all be, you know, rubbish really, but he loaded up the van and we headed off to Sutherland and, um, yeah, gave the man $26,000 and came home with a, uh, a Ron Misson built um, VL Walkinshaw with engines disassembled in boxes um, and, uh, you know, got a box book and, and ready colours? to go. Was it in the Mockapan colours? It was in Mockapan colours and they had upgraded it to 18-inch wheels um, and, um, <laughs> you know, like... We rang, um, Dad rang Larry and, and, and we sent the engine to like Wollongong engine reconditioning or something and, 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 uh, and Larry sent some parts up and, you know, the guys in the workshop in Wollongong sort of put it all together and we got together all of our sort of mates and then Kevin Burton, who I was racing production cars against, he said he wanted to do it so he bought a drive so the three of us headed off to Bathurst and, you know, um, I remember driving that car and, and, and uh, now and every time when I've driven there subsequently, you go up Mountain Strait, you know, and you can sort of put one hand on the steering wheel and drive over the crests and everything. And well, you couldn't do that in this car. It was, it was, <laughs> it, was yeah. it had a twin throttle body uh, Walkinshaw engine with a throttle, like a light switch. And, and then we got there and I think the engine was in the wrong spot because someone had moved it back. And, and so then we had to move the engine forward and we had to get a longer tail shaft off someone and modify the engine mounts. And we had problems with the wheels because they had just gone to 18 inch wheels the year before and they didn't do it correctly. And we didn't know. Um, and I think we did a sum total. I did 12 laps at Amaru on the Tuesday of Bathurst and then went to Bathurst in the car. So it was ridiculous really. But, but it got us there and, um, and, and we did it. And I think that year, 1994, there was a, a brace of young guys. I mean, Mark Noski was there and, and Steve Johnson, I think it was his first year and one of the, and Jason Bagwana and Lounsey, of course, and all that in 94 was their first go. And, um, mm. and so we were there. So, but it, it sort of set, uh, it got dad a little bit back into, you know, wanting to do it again. And, um, and, uh, it, it got us there and I, I was, I was in the race. So I'd done just enough to get what they called then. It wasn't a super license, but it was something like a super license. Like your international A or something like that. I no, think it was actually a, 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 a license. It was like the very beginning of this current super license. I can't remember what it was called, but I remember them giving it to me like just the week of the race. Cause they weren't sure whether I could race but because these other young guys had all got to go too, I got I got the license, and uh, it was literally like printed on a piece of cardboard and laminated like you'd get at the local go kart hire track. 
Yeah. And, it, and I, I think I might have it at home somewhere. But yeah, been in racing for a year and a half, and there I am at Bathurst with a super license. So it was pretty funny. Leaving the track on that that Sunday night or Monday morning, what, what was your your feeling? Dead tired. Oh, yeah, all, all of that, but it's it's you know it probably sounds a bit romantic or whatever. But you just I don't think I don't think you'll ever do that race as well as you want to do it. You know, and until you won it a few times. But I think that you always want to go back and do it better. So, you know, ours was a fairly low sort of starting point. I mean, we weren't we weren't last and didn't run at the back by any stretch of the imagination. I think we qualified fairly respectably for, for the car we had and the people who had driven it previously. Um, but, you know, we certainly wanted to go back and do it better. Um, and uh, so we set off home. And really, to me, um, yeah, you know, like whatever the date was, I don't know, the 5th or 6th or 8th of October, what whatever was the first day of getting ready for, for Bathurst the next year. So obviously the next year had a, a lot longer lead in. Would be your focus for that entire 12 months on just getting back to the 1,000 or was there other things along the way that kept you busy? Oh, I was working in, in Wollongong now with the dealership with 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 um, with Dad and and uh, I was involved in that. I, I can't I can't remember exactly everything that happened in... Well, in, I've in, got here that you did the uh, Eastern Creek 12-hour in 95 in RX-7. Dad had the RX-7 and that was a painful car. And, and it never really realised it's, we found what the problem was years later, but, but it never realised its potential. And it wasn't even that great. I didn't think that fantastic to drive, but we did do that. I think we might've gone to Indy and raced it at Indy as well. One of those years, maybe that year, 95, there was a, an endurance race at Indy. Hmm. Um, but the, the Eastern Creek race, was that the one where the Citroen, not the one, not you, you were racing it, but there was a Citroen that crashed coming into pit lane. John Wright yeah. bought the car yeah. off us. Yeah. And that was your old car, for, was it? Yeah, drove it for a number of hours with the um, low hydraulic light on. It had some sort of hydraulic leak. And then, yeah, eventually worked out why all the lights come on flashing red with buzzers because you run out of steering and brakes and everything and suspension. All at once. And, um, yeah, well, all at I once. Think all was, at once. There was like a chicane coming into the pit. Actual pit lane had a chicane in it, and it mm. rode up on the top of it, didn't it? From memory, it, it flew through the air, and he drove yeah. it back to his pit box, and they all jumped out in front and stopped it, and uh, and they come running down, and and I went up there and had a look, and the <laughs> the thing had no travel in the suspension left, so when it landed, it just punched both of the front struts straight through the bonnet, and that car they had fiberglass bonnets. So I got there and I thought, what, what's happened here? And these the two struts had like pierced through the fiberglass bonnet and there were the big green hydraulic spheres and all the and I just, just put it on the trailer, mate. Like, <laughs> that's too hard. <laughs> so you so you were, remember that. So then you, you for ninety-five for the two is one thousand, you had a VR Commodore. How did that one all come about? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, of course we should have just kept the VL and refined what we were doing there. Um, but you know, that's never good enough. So we, we, we purchased, um, I, I can't remember the numbers, but I think it was, it was called Denkar 001 and we bought it off Stuart McColl in South Australia, had Cartmania painted on it and it was a VP. Well, they had moved to VRs or whatever and NZ were going to sponsor us and through 
a guy who I can't remember his name. Uh, we got onto a chassis, which it, 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 it's actually a bit of um, a dispute over exactly what chassis it was. Some people say 27, some people say 28. Um, but it was a, a lounge car. You know, as far as I was aware, it was the Craig lounge sort of around the outside of John Bow chassis. Mm. Um, and we thought, oh, that'd be fantastic. We'll buy that um, to save upgrading the VP. So we'd sold the VL and and we got the VP. Um, and then, yeah, Dad got the VR shell. And it had been after lounge, he used it. They converted it to a VR because he raced it as a VP. And it, they used it as a spare car or something. Anyway, so we bought that car up and then realised, of course, that nothing, you know, we had basically a Perkins car here and a Den car shell there. Yeah. And, you know, nothing really fitted. But, of course, you know, we just trudged on rewardlessly and, 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 and did it anyway and converted it all over. And, and, and we ended up with a car that, I mean, it, it looked great and NZ up their sponsorship of us and we went back to the to the race, but um, the car was never really, we had a problem, the wheel fell off when dad went out in the first practice session um, and then they had to rebuild the car and you know, it, was, it was really a bit of a disaster, 95, but it was great to go and do. Um, and I, I, we got some laps in the, in the practice. Right, so we're back to production cars in '96 in Suzuki Swift. Yeah, things. well, the, the, about that time, I think uh, you know I was supposed to drive in the Suzuki series, yeah, which was a deal we organised through a Tico, and then it fell over right at the last minute. Um, so I, so they said to me, "Oh, look, you can come and take the car uh, for some you know token amount," um, and I converted it to production cars, and uh, I raced it in what was then GTP. Um, in the class E against uh, Andre Pavicevic. Yep. Um, and yeah, we had a, I love racing that car. We had a fantastic year racing that um, myself and the, and the, you know, the van and the trailer and the, and the Suzuki. And, um, and uh, that was a great little car. I really enjoyed running that in the production cars. Um, so I did that for the, for the course of the year and we repaired the, um, the Commodore and got ready to go back to Bathurst in, in, uh, in 96, um, which we did um, in 96. And then uh, in 96, I think it broke the uh, uh, 96. No, 96, uh, uh, we, it broke the Watts link in the race. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so I remember because dad started and then decided, um, well, he did a double stint. I think it was wet at the beginning of the race. 96 and yeah he started and then the car came into the pits with the uh i got in the car um and, and i think literally on the outlap the watts link broke and i drove drove around um and i brought it back into the pits and they said i oh, look you know the watts link mount had broken off the rear axle and they said oh look you know you're out of the race you, you can't weld it i said stuff stuff that you know like we came here in 95 i didn't get to go in in the race 96 I didn't get to go in in the or 94 or 95. I didn't get to go in. I was going to do some more laps in the race this year. So, and a lot of my mates were the guys on the crew. So we pulled the rear axle out of the car in the pit lane because you weren't allowed to weld in the pit lane. And we carried it up the back into the paddock area and we welded the, the mount back on. And at the same time that that had broken the, uh, 
the brake line that goes to the diff had torn out as well because it moves so far sideways. Mm. That's another catch for someone. You know, if you ever put a brake line that goes from the chassis to the diff, make sure it can accommodate the Watts link braking. Put a pigtail um, in it. Because so then you run out of brakes. You've got no suspension. And then when you get no suspension, then thereafter you've got no brakes, which all of which happened. <laughs> Back to the Citroen. So, anyway, I we welded this thing up. And uh, and I, I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to get back in this car. And I had, I'd made a new brake hose and I had brake fluid everywhere and grease and stuff. And the boys were all bolting it back in. And I had my race suit tied around my waist and I ran up to wash my hands so I could put the gloves on to get my helmet on and get back in the car. You know, they were just literally finishing it off. And while I was washing my hand, I heard this car start up and the, you know, the air jack came out the side and the, damn car took off down pit lane with my old man in it again and <laughs> so he'd seen that that i was there fixing the car or whatever and and he went oh i better get back in the car <laughs> so, so the boys filled it up with with fuel and yeah unbeknownst to me he, he thought oh so i'd done like four laps so he'd done like 70 laps like i had the shit royal anyway he drove off out of the pits and then about 30 laps later, it broke the valve springs. And he came in and he said, oh, you can go and do a few laps, but all the valve springs are broken. And <laughs> <laughs> At least you had clean hands you know? by then. You're, you're yeah. ready to go. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. So that was, you know. Yeah, Typical yeah. father-son racing relationship. Yeah, yes. well, you know what they say, you know, I love you to the end. And guess what? This is the end. Yeah, there's <laughs> no valve springs left. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. and uh, And so I thought, you know, I need to do this a bit better. Um, you know, we've had a bit of fun and we've tried to do it ourselves. With no and money. get your old man out of the picture. <laughs> yeah. So then it, I, I, I really ramped it up for the next year and, 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 um, and yeah, I was pretty determined to make it a better play of it in 97. In 97 as well, you were on the grid at the Grand Prix in a Formula Holden. Yeah. So I, I had, you know, after driving the Formula Ford and learning what I learned about the the cars, I, I looked at those Formula Holdens and I said to, um, I said to dad, you know, like to me, they were just mega cars and they still are like that. You know, it's the closest thing anyone in reality was going to drive to a Formula, a Formula One car. Like, you know, now you compare it, it's, it's, well, it's a modern day GP2 car, but you know, 30 years ago. And, um, you know, we put a slightly less powerful, much less powerful engine in, but they're still mega cars to drive. And then it's the main support category to Formula One track. So, you know, what's not to like about that? So I knew Graham Watson in Sydney and uh, and uh, the late, late Graham Watson. And, and I went to, to Graham and he had the car that he had rented to Mark Webber the year before, which is why it was yellow. And it just so happens that at that time, I was working for a company called Firepower who were importing brake pads and ignition leads and stuff. And they, their branding was all yellow. So I went and saw the the Greek guy who ran Firepower, and I said, "Oh, do you want to go to the Grand Prix? Do you want to sponsor this car?" And he actually agreed to do it, um, and I paid Graham some money to rent the car, and and I did a test day at Oran Park, and then I remember now we were um, we put Firepower labels on the car, and I got a Firepower race suit made up, and. Um, I've got photos of Belinda and myself there, you know, in the car at the, at the track. And I got in the, um, I had to tow the car down or do something. I had to drive a van down. And Graham had an older car 
a 19, my car was a 91 car. He had a 1990 car. And he said to me on the day that we were leaving to go down, he said, mate, can you go past the airport and there'll be a young guy there? Um, and um, you got to meet him such and such. And his name's Scott and he'll have a bag of money. And if he's got the money, then put him in the van and bring him to Calder Park because we were going to go to Calder Park and run these cars and then on the Wednesday and then park up on the Thursday or the Tuesday and park up on the Wednesday or something like that. So I went, oh, okay, no worries. So I, um, Graham was sort of started feverishly working on this 1990 model car that he had there and it was red. And um, I drove to the airport and yeah, young redhead guy walks out the front bag of money graham says you got some money yeah thank you um what's your name my name's scott dixon oh g'day scott i'm ryan how are you so <laughs> scott jumps in the van and scott was young you know like uh, 16. i think he had won formula first formula v and just finished winning formula ford because they race over the summer there mm. and um and basically had landed through kenny smith obviously um, landed in the in in the in the Sydney airport there, and um, I picked him up and I remember getting in the car and I'm driving down the road and I said, "So you're going to do Formula Holden, yeah?" I said, "Oh, you racing this weekend?" He said, "Yep." Yeah. I said, "How are you going to go?" He said, "Oh, I'm going to win." And I thought that was pretty <laughs> rash, but you know, so we went down there and we drove all the way down and and uh, and, and Scotty was a good guy and we got down there and and I remember my car. The cars were queued up in the pit lane there at Calder. My car wouldn't start, and his car did start. He drove off, and by the time they went and got the starter and everything and got my car going, I came out onto the track, and Scott was in the red car. So he was now finishing his outlap and starting his first flying lap ever in a Formula Holden. And he went down into the straight, and, and, and I came out of the pits, and he passed me you know, in the braking area. And I followed him around turn one and two. And by the time I was going up the hill, he was gone over the top of the hill. And, and we, we, I went over the hill and down the other side. And all I could see was we, there's a chicane there on the back of Calder. And I could see the complete underside of his car. Like it was like a foot and a half in the air where he'd just gone straight over these curves <laughs> at like breakneck speed and dropped a wheel in the grass on the way out without lifting off the throttle and just kept going. And, and I had to go back into pits because it was an installation lap. And I went back into pits and I said to Graham, I said, mate, you need to get that kid out of that car because it's <laughs> going to end up the fence, you know. He said, oh, no, no, he's going to go fantastic. He'll be, he'll be a superstar. So Graham could spot him. And, of course, we, <laughs> we qualified next to each other on the grid. He beat me in the races and he took my drive and I ended up being his mechanic for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> And does he have you over to the States for holidays? I haven't. Seen, I saw him when he came out here um, to um, do the two-driver supercar race. And we, we exchanged emails and stuff for a little while, but he's moved on, mate. Like, <laughs> but did you ever, ever let Mark Webber know that you were driving his car the week, the year after he got out of it too? And obviously in the yellow pages, colours. Yeah, you know, yeah, funnily enough, I did have a little bit of communication with Mark for a little while and 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 I met him a few times around the around the place. Um and yeah, good good guy. So so you're back to Bathurst, yeah, this time with John Faulkner racing. Yeah, so there's so 
back in those days, you know, um, you know, like uh, it was well, still the same. You've got to come up with a budget to try and get to Bathurst. And I, so I had spoken to John, and you know, John's a great bloke, but he's not like endearing from the get go. You know, he's a bit like harsh. Like you, you've got to you've got to have a good reason to talk to him. You know, he measures his words out. You know, in millimeters. So but he's a great bloke. And charges you for them. Yeah. And, and um, he sort of said, yeah, there's a drive here. Uh, if you're any good, you know, rah, rah, whatever. And it's whatever it was, $60,000 to do Bathurst or something. And uh, I'd been racing Formula Holden against Darren Pate or being in and hanging around. And I knew that Darren wanted to do it. And, um, and so I set out to try and find a budget to run that car, which... You know, now we all know that car is Beth, but back then it was just John's old VS. Mm. Um, and so I think Cameron McConville raced that car um, that year during some of the races to do some miles because he was going to drive at the endurance races with somebody else. I can't remember who. But um, so the car was sort of there. And, um, uh, and we went to um, Oran Park. And we got to Oran Park and the driver who was supposed to be working on the Formula Holden that I was going to drive, uh, that I was um, supposed to be driving the Formula Holden I was working on was, was Tony Blanche. And Tony Blanche, for whatever reason, just never turned up at the track. So Graham said to me, look, we've got to run the car. Uh, do you want to drive it? And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. So I went home and uh, got my gear, came back and actually raced the, raced the car instead of mechanicking it that weekend. Um, for for him, and through doing that, somehow I met bumped into John Faulkner again, and he said, "Look, you know um, this thing for Bathurst. If you want to do it, the opportunity's still there." He said, "I, I, I saw you racing in the Formula Holden, and and you know um, you, you should try and do it. You'd go quite well." And so I said, "Okay, well I'll I'll try," and I went home, and you know like. I was drawing sponsorship proposals with pens and paper and, and, and crayons, you know, for, to try and get. And, and so I did this and I saw that um, OAMP's insurance was sponsoring a couple of cars and had been involved. And it was literally like the day or the last day that John said he would, you know, hold out for me to find some money. And I, I rang up OAMP's insurance and, um, and I said, oh, I want to speak to the person who does your um, marketing there and your, and your racing car marketing. And this lady came on the phone and she said to me, oh, yeah, um, that's uh, Mr. Porter, Rob Porter. So I said, well, I'd like to speak to him. So without word of a lie, Rob Porter came on the phone and I said, mate, I see you're sponsoring racing cars you know, you're happy with your investment. He said, oh, we're very happy. We love racing cars. And I said, well, you know, would you like to have a complete car at Bathurst for less than what you think it might cost? And he said, what's it cost? I said, 40 grand. He said, be here in an hour. So I was at Sutherland. And uh, he, he just handed the phone back to the, the, the lady there and she gave me the address. It was at Loftus Street. And I scurried all of my gear up and raced in there and got to Loftus Street on the train and upstairs, all the way up on the lift, I'll throw him out, yep, in the office. And Rob Porter, fantastic guy, but loose as a goose and stuff everywhere in this office, heading up the big insurance broker. And I think his dad used to be the boss of GIO or something prior to that, which is probably where they got the racing bug from. And uh, 
and, and right, right um, well, who are you again? I said, I'm Ryan. I rang you about the sponsorship. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Um, come with me. We're going to go get lunch. So downstairs, off up the road and um, lunch at this big place in the middle of the CBD with all these other big insurance wigs and everything. And I'd only been there for five minutes. This is Ryan Pad. We're going to sponsor him at Bathurst this year. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I couldn't believe it. So uh, I had... Uh, we went back to his office after about an hour and a half and he said, right, how much was that sponsorship again? I said, oh, $40,000. How much of the car do I get? Well, you get all of it apart from, you know, some other little bits. And he literally got his checkbook out and wrote me a check for $40,000. And he said, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I have to go to Melbourne to give this 40000 to John. And he said, um, rightio, here's a car. So he gave me a set of keys for a RAV4 that was in the car park. And and uh, he said, what are you standing here for? Go to Melbourne. I want to see that car sign written next week. So I did. I went down the elevator into the car park, pressed the button. Sure enough, there's a RAV4 there. I got in. I drove out of the car park. And as soon as my phone worked, I rang John. And I said, John, you never believe it, mate. I've got the money. I'm coming. I'll be there in the morning. And And, and, and he said, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I drove all night and I got to, I was coming over the Westgate Bridge in the morning. He'd given me some basic instructions how to get there, but, you know, it was before GPS and everything. And I rang him again, coming over the Westgate Bridge. I said, now, John, where do I go again now? He said, where are you? I said, I've just come over the Westgate Bridge. And he said, are you one of these guys that needs to be told how to do everything twice? And I went, oh, no. <laughs> so I hung the phone up. And then, then about an hour later, I found my way to John's place and uh, I appeared there with the check made out to John Faulkner Racing for 40000 gave him that and he pointed me to the car in the corner which still had all the wind sign writing on it and uh, some oven cleaner to clean the, the uh, painted, uh, you know, uh, winds livery off. And uh, so I busied myself doing that and that was the start of, of Bathurst 97. How did that meeting go when you got there? That was all fine. I mean, John was very, once he had the 40 grand in his hand, he was pretty approachable, you know. So, um, <laughs> Why wouldn't you? So, and then he got the 20 <laughs> from Darren Pate. So, um, and I remember, you know, I sort of knew Les Small a little bit, and he had a couple of his mates that were running the car. Um, Ginge was there, he was the mechanic, and, uh, and it all got loaded up. And we went, we took the car somewhere for a display for OAMPs. Me and da uh, Darren, or we always reckoned that um, you know Darren was a pretty flash guy, and and we reckoned that Darren Pate was a bit of a plain name, so we always called him Dorenzo Potenzo because it just <laughs> a little bit more blingy. <laughs> so, so me and Dorenzo Potenzo headed off, and we did this sponsorship thing with them, and they were all happy, and we went to the race at Bathurst, and and uh, you know I just remember going really well in that car, and I thought this is what it should have been like the last three years. You know, this car actually does stuff it steers and goes and stops and and i i could do something in this car and uh and and uh it broke i think darren stuck it in first gear going down into the cutting or the chase in the warm-up which les nearly killed him for and um and robbie benson actually went into wayne gardner's truck and stole a set of valve gear off their spare engine to put on our engine because it broke literally broke the rockers in the warm-up <laughs> and 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 it was a bit like you know in days of thunder where they go where did you get the engine from but well no one really knew you know but that's so we had half of Wayne Gardner's spare engine on our car we went into the race 
and it, it broke a diff or something halfway through the race. But I got my two stints in. I did the qualifying. Peter Dillman beat me by like a couple of hundreds in qualifying. Because he was privateers in it those was five days. grand up. That meant everything to me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I nearly I nearly got it, but we didn't. And um, and 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 to me, then I felt like, I, you know, I can I can I can do this. I fit in a little bit here. And um, and John sort of saw the same, so he sort of tried to help me out a bit from then on. And and Les Small taught you some words in English which you hadn't used, heard used in that manner before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Les is a fantastic guy, and and, and you know, Les is one of those guys that when you need something. He will do whatever it takes to help you out, you know, and he actually does. He's, he's helped a lot of people and he helped, helped me a lot. You know, he's a little bit brash sometimes, but he's <laughs> a little a bit, little yeah. bit, a little bit. You always know where you stand with Les. Uh, you do. That's that. easy. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually started my apprenticeship at Roadways Racing, so I, I, yeah. I've got, still got a scar here from yeah. the 17 mil spanner, right? <laughs> <laughs> I remember at Les's one night with the engine dyno and, um, and uh, you know, I don't know if any of the listeners know about the, you have the drum pumps on a 20 litre drum of oil and, and, uh, and Les was, we were running an engine. It's always two o'clock in the morning or something. We're trying to get this engine ready to go to a race. Les had glasses on and, and I couldn't, he was pumping and pumping the oil to go into the catch can or the canister and, and but he hadn't opened the end on the on the tap on the hose, and the hose was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's pumping, and he was so angry, and he's, and he's telling me about something else, yelling me, and I couldn't get a word in to tell him that this hose was about. And then the hose blew off, and it had like it must have had like eight liters of oil just in the hose at about fifty psi by this stage, and it had a hose clip on the end, and the hose clip flicked around, and while it was squirting him with eight litres of oil, it smashed his glasses into a million pieces. And so you can just imagine how Les took all of this. And, and I was standing going, uh, 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 yeah, but it was too late. Les is the yeah. only guy that can get that angry that he can create 10 bar on a manual pump. So it was quite, I remember that night quite succinctly. That was later on. But you know, Les is a good guy. He helped us out with that deal a lot. And the whole time at John Faulkner's, he helped John a lot too, you know, like, John was obviously, you know, he was a bit of a battler and he relied on people. And John Sidney and Les Small and some other key people there, they helped that whole deal a lot because they could see that, you know, when John got in the car, he put the rubber on the road and he was he was after it and he put everything he could into it. And uh, mm. I think that's what Les respects that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Les is an out-and-out racer and has has always been. Sorry, guess. Yeah, I was going to say that... Uh... When Les is irate, that's bad enough. But when he's more irate, it's even worse. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering, it's a sort of situation where you don't laugh, but it's so funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you can't laugh, you just cry, you know, because, like, it's, it's yeah, you, you, you yeah. anyway. But, yeah. yeah, that's Les. So moving on, and we'll, we'll have to uh, skip along a bit quicker now, that um, you, you did some touring car rounds. You did some Konica rounds, um, then also doing production cars as well. Where did the um, the interest come in to start doing something yourself, like in the way of car construction? Well, you know, after you're right, yeah, we did lots of production car stuff over the over the years, and then the the the, uh, the Konica series, Konica Lights, whatever they called it, then. 
um, which was JFR. That was that was a bit of a bit of a scratch back for me helping them out um, for a couple of years, and that all went really well. Um, and then JFR wound up what he was doing. I had been I'd left car racing and got sort of brought back into it with Rob Smith. I was helping out Steve Owen. I was helping Lee Holdsworth. Um, we got um, involved with John Tulin. Um, I ended up going to Daytona and running the 24-hour program for John, which had Morris and Ambrose and Baird running. And then we did the 24-hour at Bathurst where we came third. And all of these things happened. And Morris sort of said to me, you know, you probably need to come to Queensland and try and work for me. So I moved to Queensland. I was his engineer for a year or two on the car and, and, and that was all good, but I sort of felt like it wasn't enough. And I, at the same time of doing all this and having to source all these parts um, for myself over that time, for all the different cars and all the different programs that, that I'd been involved in, um, you know, I ended up running the store while I was at Norwell as well. And anyone who knows anything about Norwell knows that they had the store was better packed than most of the suppliers in the in the country had like they had everything there and two or three of them and um so I, I had a lot of contacts john faulkner wound up his team and and at the same time i was looking at getting out of um engineering the cars and and so john said why don't you take all of this stuff and and sell it off uh, which which i did and along the way i started racer industries because every day people rang me up asking where to get something where do i get one of these where do i get one of those um, so I started Racer Industries and after a few years of doing that, I realised that the, all of the cars were becoming cookie cutter cars, you know, because, you know, the V8 Utes, you know, they all went completely controlled. We were tendering for that. The supercars had gone to Project Blueprint and then into the, you know, the rumourings of the first car of the future. The mini series came out, they were all minis. The Porsche series had started up, they were all Porsches. <laughs> so the opportunity to sell parts really laid with, um, uh, you know, sports sedans, improved production, um, a few bits and pieces like that. A production car was a production car. You couldn't do much to it back then. Um, so there, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. So I, I sort of thought, oh, I need to do something where we can start our own sort of process like that of selling all these parts that I have access to um, and that's what really started it. And along the way at that time, uh, Paul Seprinich and uh, Mark Petch ended up on my door um, wanting to spec out a, 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 a well-valued group of parts to build this car that they were tendering for the South African Touring Car Championship. And so this is how Mark Car started. And um, so I said to Mark, well, you should use this and you should use that and you should have this clutch and this thing and we need a wheel bearing like this and you need, and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so I inspected all that out. They went and built the prototype. They asked me to come and drive the prototype, which I did. And after five laps in the prototype, I said, I said to guys, you know, there's nothing wrong with this car. Like, this car is really good. And, and um, uh, they sent it to South Africa and uh, uh, you know, in South Africa, I think, there was some sort of commercial wranglings and they tried to take the deal away from them and build them their own cars over there and all that sort of stuff. So I said, you know, I want 
to, to get some of these cars to replace our aging Astra. And, and we'd been racing the Astra. We went to Dubai, we did Barcelona, we did Silverstone, 24 hour races overseas. I had a crew of people that were helping us and it was good time. And, uh, but we needed a bit more racing car around us. So this Mark car thing, uh, which was uh, McLeod Auto Racing Concepts, um, it was an acronym that I dreamt up one morning in the shower. And um, we called it a Mark car. I ordered three cars off Paul Sepernich, which I'd pre-sold off the plan to some of our customers, um, with, you know, for drawing and a bit of a spec sheet and some video of the test and all the rest of it. Um, and uh, I made sure that we could race them not only at the Bathurst 12 hour, but also in the Creventic series, which we got approval to do on spec. And that was how we got started. So I thought, oh, well, you know, these three cars, they'll probably do, do me, you know, like that, that, that three cars, that's more than I'd ever had. And then, three, you know, three cars became, we took them to Bathurst, you know, you know, in reality, that was wildly successful, that debut of the cars, you know, like three cars, they ran all day. We didn't have really any mechanical problems that fast. People, you know, liked the, the feel of them, you know, the, the look of them, the sound of them. And uh, that's how we got started in that. It was never meant to be a production of racing cars business. It was literally just building some cars that would enable us to, to go and do a bit more racing. Um, and, and, you know, in the back of my mind, I sort of thought, well, you know, maybe something could come from it. Um, but um, I didn't know what was in front of me and I didn't quite understand what sort of tiger I'd just grabbed by the tail either. So, And the process, Brian, was it enjoyable? Oh, the process was massively enjoyable for me, you know, like a car guy like like me to get involved. So, you know, like uh, anyone who's sort of been involved with the racing that I do, I sort of get in the middle of everything, which is probably to my detriment. But, but I, you know, whether we're doing a wheel alignment or a sticker job or we're um, wiring up a set of, you know, headlights or programming something or building the engine on to be in the middle of the whole process. So building those cars really suited me because I could go. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, Ryan. There's, there's <laughs> names like Jack Brabham and Larry Perkins that did exactly the same yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah. so you, you know, you've got to keep an eye on the quality. That's how these yeah. things work. Yeah. So I went and did, you know, I was in the middle of, you know, building the chassis and laying out the spec of the chassis and, 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 and not building it so much, but, but giving my input into this should be here and that should be there. And we needed to use the same wheel here and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And the same with the engine. I got hold of the engine program. We did that in-house ourselves. We had assistance from people, but we sort of took that in with Arch McMurray, who built the engines for my dad back in the Brock days. Um, he was doing those. You know, I took the electronics on, um, you know, the shock absorbers with Murray Coote, um, you know, the, the construction of the bodywork components, all of that stuff. And then the marketing of the whole program and selling the drives and all the homologation process with Motorsport Australia. And, and it, it really, it consumed me for, for you know, 10, 10 or 12 years, but I loved every minute of it. You know, it was a, it was a fantastic process. And, you know, I'm very proud of those, those cars. I like like uh, like Carol Smith. You should be writing a book about all of that and uh, and and learning the young kids along the way. Well, I don't know that it was that much of a of a of a feat, but you know, I think you know to take those cars like we literally took the first three cars to Bathurst, so we built them 
you know, to want to do a 24 hour race. So when I looked under the cars and I wanted everything to be a bit bigger and a bit heavier and a bit stronger. And so, which we did. And then we went and did the 12 hours at Bathurst and on purpose, we only really pulled the cars apart and had a look at them because to me, they were only done half of their job. And I built this container that carried three cars and all the equipment and with some help from Simon and Chris and the boys at Norwell. And we sent that off and we arrived in the back of the paddock at um, Zandvoort um, to do the, the 12 hours of Zandvoort. We sold all the drives. Um, so we had, uh, you know, um, nine drivers there at Zandvoort, um, a lot of which we still got, Keith Kasulki and Hadrian Morale, those sorts of guys. Uh, Jake Camilleri still racing with us today. And, and we were off on an adventure, you know. Like, we got to Zandvoort and the cars wouldn't even start because the fuel was different. And in, we had done very little work with the Motec M1 series ECUs, like they were just new. Um, and, you know, these cars had, you know, automated shifting on them and ABS brakes and electronic throttle and variable camshafts and all this sort of stuff. So they were fully loaded. And, um, and I remember the, the scrutineering was at the bottom of the hill down at turn one. And by the time, you know, we'd pushed the car through all the various scrutineering process and went to start it up, and, and, and drive it back up the hill. The batteries were flat. They wouldn't start. It was one degrees ambient temperature or two. And we, you know, we'd never tried to start the cars like that. And there was, there was all these little issues and all the drivers are standing there and everyone's looking at these weird cars from Australia, you know, like a, a four door Ford Focus with a V8 engine, a big wing on the back and, um, and, and wondering what they were. And, um, but we worked our way through all those things. And the cars kept improving and they got better and better and better every time we went. And, and, and we went better as a team. Um, and, and yeah, it, it set us off on a, on a journey that uh, I don't know how you, how you would do, you, you would do it again. You know, it was a fantastic um, process. It's interesting. We, we just uh, on Friday night celebrated the latest championship with Tony Groves winning the Victorian sports Sedan championship yeah, with yeah. the Mark three. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, all those cars, you know, that Mark 1 car is... The Mark 2 car was a fantastic car. It's a beautiful car, the Mark 2 car. You know, it's elaborate in the body. And, and you know, I don't want to say that it's anything like a Gen 3 car, but because, you know, what supercars are building now, but I see the process and, and I see the process I went through and the different purposes, but very similar in the, in the process you know, and um, so, uh, you know, and I've got an inside view on what a lot of the parts and things that go into those cars are. But when you're talking about a, you know, a V8 uh, front engine, transaxle, you know, um, space frame chassis, you know, with the multi-purpose body with the aero kit and so on and so forth on it, um, you know, they were fantastic. And they still are fantastic cars. It was very pleasurable for me to watch uh, Cameron drive around Bathurst the other week in Keith Kasulki's car. So Keith's car is the, he had A of both cars. He's a fantastic supporter of the program. He bought cars, both the Mark I and the Mark II. He was the first person in to buy the cars off just a sketch and a, and a, and a, a bit of a, a whim of what they might come out like and never questioned any of the process and, and received the, he had the A Mark I and the A Mark II. So the Mark I was called Amaru, because we named them after circuits, and the Mark II car was named after rock and roll bands, 
and so it's ACDC, and and uh, so he's got both of those both of those cars, and it, you know it's been driven by, uh, you know Paul Paul Tracy drove it, Will Brown drove it, um, Anton Di Pasquale drove it, um, you know there's been um, Brock Feeney has raced it, you know in a in its short Nick Perkett in its short racing career, so it's it's a fantastic car. The um the the, the must you picked the Mustang for your Mark Two. You've, what, you had any involvement in the um, in the new car that they've built, the Mercedes-based or the Mercedes-bodied car? No, I haven't. And, look, the process, why I picked the Mustang was the first car, you know, it, it doesn't really, the, the Mark One didn't really comply as a sports sedan. And in Australia, we sort of got poo-pooed a bit by the sports sedan fraternity. I remember I went and raced sports sedans. They gave us a 3D logbook. And I went and raced sports sedans at, at um, Winton one weekend. And, uh, you know, our exhaust pipe didn't exit behind the centre line of the wheelbase. And the curves of the, of the flares weren't 100 mil radius and a few things like that. And, and fair enough, you know, there's a rule book and the car didn't completely comply with those things. And so we had to run as invited. But I thought there's never, you know, there's not a future in having a car that's going to be an invited car. Um, so when we designed the Mark II car, the Mustang was all the rage. I actually had got one off um, Andrew Medecki as a road car. And I said to the guys at Pace, you know, let's just extend the wheelbase, move some of the chassis rails around to push the wheels out, keep everything that we know that we like. We'll put the slightly bigger engine, the 5.2 litre engine, and make a, a Mustang body. But I gave them the sports sedan rulebook, which had just been revised in that year. And I said the car must comply 100% in the bodywork regulations to a sports sedan from top to tail, leave nothing out. Everything must comply, all the vents and louvers and heights and everything. And that's why we decided on the, on the Mustang. The new car is not one that I've had a lot to do with, but um, I believe it's another car that would need to race amongst itself because the body design is not compliant with sports sedans. From what I from what I understand, because at some stage, you know, a sports sedan has to be a car. You know, if you're racing an alpha sports sedan, you know, a majority of it has to be, you know, an alpha. Um, and and so and that's with our car. You know, the, that Mustang body, um, the design of that Mustang body is is 100% within the regulations on on every format and and i will say that pace and the people that they brought in to do the design on that body was world class you know like anybody who looks at those mark ii cars just drools over the quality yeah. of the i was going to say they were jaw-dropping when i first seen them at bathurst for the 12 hour when they went up there hmm. they had three of them there that year i think um and Compared to the, the original Mark cars, well, there's nothing wrong with them, but it was sort of a really gigantic step as far as their appeal, their look. Yeah, and, and they did. They looked fantastic. Um, you know, I travelled to Lithuania to get the bodywork made um, <laughs> and and I met a guy there in Vilnius in Lithuania who was doing the Dakar Toyota um, cars and there wasn't the people in Australia that could take on the job of making um, pre-preg panels. And uh, however we arrived at it, we decided that for this car, we wanted to have a pre-preg carbon fibre body. 
and and so that's that's what we did. We um, we made that that car with prepreg, and it was made. The bodywork on that car was made in the same facilities and out of the same stuff, using exactly the same processes as any of the GT3 cars, BMWs, Porsches, or Audis, and is of the same quality. Um, you know, and then you know the car, the the electronics package in those cars was you know second to none. You know, electric steering and um, ABS traction control, all driver adjustable. You know, intelligent steering wheels. Um, you know, like they had everything fully loaded inside um, with all the electronic wizardry. And I used to boast that if you got a spec sheet for a brand new Audi or Mercedes GT3 car, and and just cut the top off it that said what the car was and put it next to my spec sheet, pretty much line for line, it was the same. Everything that they had. Um, our car had it was, but it was a third of the cost. But um, it's a gap too far to 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 jump, you know, to, to try and and sell those those cars because right from the get go, I said, you know, we're not about designing a half a million dollar car because they already exist. You know, you can go down the road and you can buy a Ferrari or a Porsche or an Audi with half a million dollars. What we were trying to do was make a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar car that would be sort of as equivalent as it could be. And that was where its uniqueness was going to be and that you could have all of this for that, you know. And, um, and, and really, I think the Mark I car actually hit that note better than the Mark II car did. And that, that was reflected in the sales. But see, I think that's also up to interpretation as well, Ryan, as far as that's concerned, because both of them seem to race very, very successfully. Yeah, and they did. I think we sold 32 or 33 cars um, over the time. And I I think we sold 15 or 17 Mark I cars in the balance in Mark II. So we didn't undersell the Mark II, but I was a bit lucky that that Mark II, I got that into Europe at the right time. And I met a guy, Raphael van der Stratton. And um, anybody who knows the the team that... uh, that, um, uh, um, the motorcycle rider um, Jack Miller was riding for in, in Moto2. That was called VDS, Mark VDS. So that's from that that uh, family, um, same same family cousins, but the same family. And Raphael van der Straten bought two, three, three Mark I cars off me and then ordered two Mark II cars. And then from having those cars exposure in Europe at Creventic and in in, in Dutch supercars and in um, a lot of the races we went into, we, we were able to get other orders for cars, but always from people that were, were, were interested to have something a bit unique and a bit bespoke. Yeah. Um, and I did all the technical support on those cars here for them. Um, you know, we, did, we built all the engines here. Um, we made all the parts here. We had, you know, we did all of that, that work. Um, for those um, for those people, they've still got the cars now. But um, in the end, I ended up having to step away from that that um, arrangement, and um, yeah, I sold it on to one of the customers, and 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 they're operating it now. Well, just as we get towards finishing up, there's just a couple of little things I'd like to ask. Did one of the Mark One cars get rebodied into something other than a Focus or a Master yep. Three? Yeah, it did. It got rebodied into a BMW 2 Series, I think, um, which, you know, that was always a plan with those cars. Mm. 
Gary, was that, you know, those cars should be able to be rebodied. Um, and they were based around that sort of C-series, you know, an Audi A3, yep. uh, say it, Super Cobra or whatever they were called, I don't know, and or, a, you know, a Mitsubishi had one, Hyundai had one. In fact, um, Scott Yorston did a, a, a whole brace of drawings for me of, of you know, Mark cars on Mazda bodies and Hyundai bodies and Toyota bodies and all sorts of things. Now, now that you've, you've stepped away from the Mark cars and obviously focusing um, yourself on your son's careers, yep. can you just quickly, as we finish up, just a little bit about what that means to you and where you see them getting to and uh, as we close off? I think probably the goal's the same. Gary, like I, I think that um, all that's happened now is, I've, you know, probably I'm not driving anymore, and uh, and I'm just trying to help help the boys. Um, ben is not so active anymore, but uh, Nick and Cam um, are um, sort of Cam, particularly in the last twelve months, has really sort of taken it by the horns and and is having a having a go at it. And I'll try and give them as much of my, you know, experience and knowledge base. Um, as I can, and um, yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy it immensely, but um, probably a little bit differently to when I did it with my dad. You know, I don't I don't, I don't think uh, I don't think I'll be jumping in their car and driving it out the pits. Anytime. <laughs> I was speaking, maybe it's a good opportunity. Are you washing your hands? One back. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all right. Look, I enjoy watching them do what they're doing, and and it's a young man's sport now. Years ago, it wasn't it wasn't a young man's sport. And Tony Longhurst reminded me of, of that when I, when I was, he came and drove a Mark car for us. And actually, funnily enough, he drove the Mark car at, um, when he wanted to get back into it, he came and drove the Mark car at Eastern Creek. And just, just as a by point there, you know, he had always been in the pits in the supercars and it, and it had it always driven out of the um, pit building and straight onto the track. And we had to go through, um, at a state level meeting, we had to go through the marshalling area. So he got in the car at Eastern Creek, uh, in the mark car, in the pit box, and we said, right, Tony, yeah, radio work, yep, it's all good, yep, okay, no worries, okay, out you go, you know. And so he went down the bottom and saw cars going around the track. So he just gassed the thing up and drove straight <laughs> out onto the track. I remember and, that. And we went down there to the um, area, you know, I took, grabbed a tyre pressure gauge and whatever and went down there to the form-up area. And no Tony Longhurst. I'm like, where did he go? And I turn around and the production cars are out on the track and here's Tony in the Mark 1 car. Yeah. And, and he, said, he, said, he said to me, oh, you know, I was really worried how, how I'd go. But he said, I went on the track and I was just eating everybody up. I was like, so great, you know. And, and he got in so much trouble. He did like three or four laps and then they were black flagging him and then they were running up and down the pit lane. They couldn't get him off the track and they had to red flag the session and, he didn't know what it was all about. And he, you know, they like at Eastern Creek, he got dragged up there to the three wise men and had to explain. And he said, Look, <laughs> I said, I don't know. They just put me in a car and I drive out onto the track. I'm didn't even know what the number on the side was <laughs> to respond to the black flag. Yeah. So he's out there passing bloody Mitsubishi Mirages and Toyota, <laughs> whatever's in his mark car thing. And he was doing her of a job. And then after the first session where we had the real cars, he had a bit of a sweat up and he said, Oh, this is a young man's game now, Ryan. And I said, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of stories, there's just a couple of stories we'd like to hear about your dad. 
yeah. at Winton particularly. I was there at that meeting, so that that rings a bell. So you might want to just tell us about that one. That was hilarious. Yeah, he's um he's had a couple of issues getting in and out of the pits, the old man, over the years, and um, you know. He, there's never one for many formalities or track walks or driver's briefings or anything like that. Like he, he, uh, so yeah, at Winton, he managed to, um, go out and, uh, get around the, the track on the, on the new track, he called it. Mind you, it's been there for 20 years or something. I don't know the, the, the extended track. And instead the, the of the first time he'd been there. Yes. The first the time he'd been there. I actually, Gary, I don't think it was. But anyway, it was about the first time he did it. And, um, yeah, so he went down and, uh, and, 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 and thought he was driving on the racing track, but it was actually the entry to the pit area. <laughs> and uh, he was, he had managed to get back the first year and, and, and turn into the, what is the very sharp right-hander that forms the pit area after, I don't know, turn 11 or 12. And he thought, this is a bit Mickey Mouse, you know, for winter. <laughs> and, um, then he realised he was in the pit lane. And, and uh, so he was very embarrassed. And I said to him, what are you doing driving through the pit lane? Dad? Oh, nothing. No, I just thought I'd come back in and just make sure everything was all right, you know. And, uh, but later on, he admitted to yourself and to myself that he had done that but you know and now everyone <laughs> he went to he went to daytona in 1985 and and he drove the mazda car there and uh similar thing and um with uh moffat and greg hansford and kevin bartlett and uh you know uh, he tells the story about you know moffat and how he was you know ruling with an iron fist and and organizing everything and when he could drive and when he couldn't and uh, Dad sat there for two days or something while they went around, around, around testing the cars. And eventually, they they gave they put Dad in the car, and um, and to go out on track and at the, the circuit there, it, it looks like you drive out of the pit lane straight onto the track because the track's all there. But there's this uh, infield section and a very sharp U-turn, you know, at the end of the pit road. And well, I, Dad had managed to get halfway through third gear by the time he approached the what was the very sharp exit, thinking that he was about to open the thing right up and go straight onto the track. And there was like a sixty-kilometer-an-hour hairpin in front of him that he he managed to just slide around there by the skin of his teeth. And he promised that that he would uh, he never said anything to Moffat about it because he was worried that he wouldn't get back in the car. But he he admitted years later that um, he very nearly destroyed the whole. Um, Daytona program right there and then not, not even leaving the pit the pit lane so and I and I think there was also the the case of that car he thought it was only a five speed yes well I mean that uh, yeah well I mean that that goes way back into the group C days yeah, you know exactly because, um, yeah Moffat said well you know um something about you know don't use six gear and he said <laughs> What do you mean? Don't use six gear. It's only a five-speed, is it? No, Peter. No. <laughs> Racing RX-7s are a six-speed. So, Ryan, and, on, yeah. on that note, I'm not, we're not going to hang your old man any any more out to dry here. This is just not fair. <laughs> I'm gonna. We're gonna have. We're running out of time here rapidly. Um, thank you so much for your time in our show here today. It's been. Fantastic to have you on board the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, and I think you've you've risen your, your career up and down through being grassroots and then and backwards and and forwards and weaved your way in and out of being a grassroots racer and someone at the top of the game. But 
certainly your your time in motorsport is I'm going to say underrated in Australia, and that's sort of how Australians do it, really, isn't it? We uh, we like to if someone's getting too big for the boots, get get chopped down. But certainly, I hope that that in a small way, our little podcast with Gaz and Daz has chronicled uh, what has been a a super um, career as far as a driver and an engineer and team owner and retailer, um, all these other things along the way um, that you've done. So I hope you've enjoyed your time with us, but it's been a great, great chat. Well, Gaz and Dad, I have enjoyed it. It's great to talk about some of the things and I just hope that the uh, the listeners have a bit of fun listening, listening in and um, seeing what went on. I know we have, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I've had a, a good laugh. A uh, couple of things, your dad, Particularly, I love a I love a Les Small um, cracking the. <laughs> I love that. Next time I see him in pit lane, I'm going to remind him about that. And That's done. awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Anyway, yeah. thank you, Ryan McLeod. Thank you so much for being our guest on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. No problem, guys. All the best. Thank you. Uh, that was a fantastic guest, uh, wasn't it, Gaz, to have on there, our uh, our Christmas edition, a nice one for the drive up the coast or into the mountains or whatever you're going to do. You can probably get the trip up and back in uh, there and great to have Ryan on board. And and as always, he's, he's always been one for a good chat. So um, great to have him on. Now, let's get back into uh, a little bit of news and, uh, well, future events, really. It's all about Jingle Bells and the uh, the sleigh coming down the chimney, isn't it, in the next week or so? It is. Um uh, just harking back to Ryan for a moment, I love the fact that he never got away from really grassroots, did did lots of big stuff, but all, also had time to do grassroots. He did a couple of Commodore Cup races and some other stuff there along the way as well. Well, we really but, hardly even got onto the, the Astra and what the, you know, the amount of racing they did with that, that poor little Astra around the world. Well, and some of the drivers, I mean, this is a bit I meant to touch on, we didn't, but talking about some of the drivers, he said, you know, Chas Mossett had his first race with Ryan McLeod mm. in yeah. that Astra. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, we just move on. There's a couple of little things that are worth mentioning. The White Line Twilight Rally Sprint Series had its third round at Sydney Dragway. Um, they have it happens on the second Thursday of the month, generally, unless something else pops up and then they bung it on Tuesday. But Phil Heathy and Luke McFarlane uh, in their Evo 6 uh, were the winners. Um, what they do is they have four runs. I think they add add them up, and that's the three best that gets it there. They had uh, seventy eight starters, and they actually reduced the numbers because they were going excessively late in their finishes. So still two rounds of that to go. Um, they'll be in January and February, of course. Um, now, despite a ten second penalty, Dan Day in his Subaru STI C spec. Uh, won the Wollonga Hill Climb. Now, this is uh, a hill climb. It's fairly well known in South Australia. It's um, It follows on from the Legends of the Lakes, which was held at Mount Gambier not that long ago. 130 competitors. They had rain, thunderstorms and lightning to start their day, so that was an interesting one. But uh, they actually uh, won the previous event at the Legends of the Lake. Another big event they do is the Mount Ararat um, Mile course, that happened in between. That was over in Yeah, Victoria. the Golden Mile course, yeah. 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 Um, the other thing I wanted to make quick mention was the Adelaide uh, Motorsport Festival returns after four years um, on the um, on the blink, so to speak. Uh, a hiatus caused uh, uh, in the later part by the fact that um, COVID hit us. 
So it's back and they're talking about something like 20 different categories running there. Formula One cars, Group A, Group C, supercars, um, and just about everything else in between. Open wheelers, classic cars, invitational cars, demonstrations, a few Ferrari sporting cars, even a McLaren sports car there as well. So that's on March 24 to 26. Um Whereas we get towards the start of the new year um, with what will be a very busy calendar. I've been doing some ca calendar calculations and, man, oh, man, there's some racing going on next year. <laughs> I don't know. if we, we won't get them all, Daz, I can tell you now. <laughs> we'll give it a go. <laughs> we'll give it a go. Certainly um, things open up in Victoria again pretty early with um, round one of the uh, Victorian State Circuit. Actually, I should say the Triple Eight Home Loans Victorian State yeah. Circuit Racing Championship on February 17-19, round two, Winton, April 22-23, round three, May 26-28, uh, then Sandown, August 11-12-13, Phillip Island, 22-23-24, uh, and there is a round six slated for Calder Park. And, uh, I mean, we're going to have to wait for, obviously, track licences and safety inspections and all those sorts of things. But numerous series are, are announcing rounds they're to all, be going uh, put, at Calder Park. They're all putting a hand up for that one. Um, uh, well, it'll be kind up. of like having a new track. It <laughs> yeah, is. Like, well, yeah. Same old, same old. Different. Bumps and, 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 uh, and holes and stuff. But it hasn't been on anyone's calendar for nearly 20 years. Yeah, um, while we're talking about uh, state championship races, New South Wales state championship starts off in Victoria in um, yes. the second weekend or no, first weekend of March at Winton. It, which these sort of things are not unheard of. I mean, the Victorian championship used to go to uh, Malala every now and again to throw in a, a different round, but um, certainly um, it'll throw in something different for uh, those that head to Winton and it'll be uh, well worth the, the drive up from Melbourne to, to see the uh, the Northerners come down and, and race well, on the uh, Mexico circuits. Well, I dare say a few of the Vicks will probably join in, the sports sedans and the like, or no doubt get some uh, IP cars, I think you'll find, will be very much uh, on. Okay. Uh, well, I think that about wraps up what we're doing this year. I reckon it does, Gaz, and um, thank you so much for your diligent leadership and leading all the conversations and bringing all the facts to the table and uh, being the uh, the great uh, oracle of Australian motorsport <laughs> that you are and you embody. And uh, I just bring along a smiley face, which doesn't really help in an audio podcast, does it? Sounds like you're pouring water down my back and telling me it's raining. Again. <laughs> well thank you everybody for joining us right throughout uh, 2022 and we look forward to getting 2023 underway we're going to certainly be cheering on james mcfadden as he uh, continues his journey in the sprint cars right throughout summer as well and you can catch up with uh what Fogs is doing on the parked up plus podcast there as well one of our uh, sister podcasts so if you're into speedway you'll be able to catch all of that stuff there gaz merry christmas to you and all of yours yeah, Merry Christmas to you and to everyone that listens in. We hope you have a very happy time over the festive season and a safe one as well. And we will catch you in 2023. Bye from Daz. And bye from Gaz. You've just listened to another Network R production. 